Welcome to Small Bites Radio with Donato Marino and Derek Tim. We hope you're hungry. Everybody to Wildfire. Wildfire Radio, Small Bites. I'm Donato Marino with DNL Bean to Barista Service, and welcome Derek back from his hiatus. You missed me, didn't you? I did. I mean, first of all, 2020's just been a year from start to finish. Well, I shouldn't say start; it started off pretty well. From yeah, in the I'm, beginning. Yeah, yeah. And then it just it sort of went a little downhill from there. And I, I, I know that we put you in good hands with actor John Dorenzo. Yes, he was definitely an inspiration. Heard raving things. People loved hearing him, and uh, our fans always enjoy having him on. He did a fantastic job. So thank you, John, for filling in my seat while I uh, had a little break from the radio. Even though I guess seven months was wasn't enough for me <laughs> originally <laughs> when we took our original hiatus but, the, but uh, i'm derek tim of bluejeanfood.com and uh, it's great to have everyone here but it wouldn't be the same without talking to another john we just fill everyone it, it, any slot that we fill is usually just filled in with a john but this john is john howard fusco and uh, how's it going buddy evening guys how are we doing this evening we're doing great doing great john so what's hot and happening <laughs> So, well, as the big news, and, and probably everyone knows this, but uh, with the spike in COVID cases, the city of Philadelphia has decided to put a ban back in place on all indoor dining. Uh, the restriction took place effective November 20th. The ban will be enforced for at least six weeks and possibly till the end of the year. Uh, there's currently a group of restaurant owners who have filed a lawsuit against the mayor to try to block this ban, uh, but we'll have to see what's going to happen with that. But right now, indoor dining has been banned in the city as of November 20th. Uh, the toll of the pandemic on the Philadelphia restaurant scene continues. Uh, we've lost a couple of more restaurants in the past couple of weeks. We lost uh, Res Ispa, which is a highly regarded restaurant, and Gray Lodge, uh, which was well regarded as far as in the, in the, in the Philly beer scene. Uh, both have closed in the past couple of weeks. So, again, the, the toll continues on, on the restaurant scene. On the Jersey side of things, our friend Marco at 42 Freeway reported. No, we lost John. Huh? Whatever he reported, I'm hope it was good news uh we seem to be having a little bit of uh technical difficulties uh 2020 seems 2020 to be uh, really bothering <laughs> everything all around what i would like to do if i can yeah go ahead is, don we got plenty so we got yeah, an hour to know, waste you know I, you know you know i have a victory garden and i work with a lot of great guys and gals and uh you know we grow food and we share it with the uh, the community and i want to thank uh d and ralph for their contribution to, to, to the Victory Farm, plus a bunch of the other people, which I can't name everybody. But I got Brian, I got John, uh, Bob, Danny, and, and, and myself. And you know, we grow a lot of products that you, know, you see on the shelf. And uh, you know, we donate it to the friends that we know that enjoy uh, um, the, I guess the finer things in, in nature. I mean, if you ever had fresh potatoes from the garden, it's, it's so much different than the potatoes you buy in the store. Uh, we try to do it as organic as possible. Um, no pesticides. That means, you know, that means us killing a lot of bugs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's good. I mean, that was one of the things that kept your mind at ease and kept you occupied during the time. So, uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad the things went well. But uh, one of the things that hopefully will go better this time for us around for the show is, drum roll please, we're going to start over again. Let's welcome Michael Fagan, the host and creator of Waiter Nation, the most popular online talk show in South Jersey. How's it going, Michael? 
It's going great. Nice to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So you uh, have been in the industry, were in the industry for quite some time that... uh, You were a professional waiter for 30 years, and you wanted to showcase the unsung heroes of the hospitality industry, mostly the waiter and those behind the scenes. And you even made a viral video called So God Made a Waiter, and it still gets worldwide attention to this day. So why don't you... Describe to us what was your thought pattern, uh, what was the aha moment that you said, I have to create, Waiter Nation, what it's all about and what you're doing. Sure. So uh, the original idea came was every time a film crew came into my restaurant where I was working, they'd go right into the kitchen and take pictures of the food and talk to the chef. And I thought, well, we're out here and we do half the experience ourselves. I don't think that... Uh, No matter how good the food is, it could make up for bad service, but service can often make up for bad food. So I thought, well, I know a bunch of talented front of the house people, and I'll get a camera, and I'll go out, and we'll start filming interviews, and we'll just find out these interesting characters. So I started off on the beach with uh, my buddy Mike, and he's a lifeguard, and he's a waiter. And then I went on to other places, and there was a singing waiter, and then some restaurants invited me in and we went to Ruth Chris and I went to Brigada Casino and I went to uh, Manhattan and just started interviewing these people. And the comments were incredible. They were saying congratulations to all my guests. And I thought, boy, that's strange. You're just saying congratulations to a waiter and started putting a lot of attention on these people. And it would say, when you go out to dinner, wouldn't it be awesome if one of my guests waited on you because they have a backstory and they're talented and they're well-spoken and they're interesting people. And, um, so then, so God made a waiter came along just out of the blue, Paul Harvey's famous poem. So God made a farmer. And then it became a Super Bowl commercial. So God made a farmer and there's a lot of copies. So God made a mother. So God made a dog. And I thought, there's no So God Made a Waiter. So it took me about two months to write it out. And I bought all the pictures and asked some friends if I could use their pictures. And we put it in and edited it out real nice. And actually, I didn't think anybody, I thought everybody was going to think, oh, well, this is silly. You know, what are you doing writing a poem about waiters? (laughs) And it went viral around the world. I get comments still from like East Europe and Asia and uh, Canada and all across the country. In fact, every morning I wake up to notifications and it says, your post was shared 10 more times, eight more times, you know, and I see all the comments of people saying like, this is what we do. This is why we're here. Uh, I brought tears to my eyes as I listened, you know, it's, it's moving. So, um, I got a lot of satisfaction out of that. So the pride that I take in my craft that I've been doing since high school, I see that uh, we all doing the same thing. And during COVID, I started interviewing people around the country and around the world. People were calling in. I was doing virtual interviews, like everyone. And uh, people were calling in from, from Europe. And during COVID, we're all going through the same thing. We were all shut down. We're all on many restrictions, whether we're open, whether we're closed. We were all scared in the same way. We all have, you know, just like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, I mean, what, brought us all together. What's happened in this industry, and uh, and Don knows quite well because yeah. uh, you're in the coffee industry, Daniel Coffee Service. So there's always been a behind the scenes aspect of the business in hospitality, whether it be the waiter. Uh, the machine worker who's going fixing the espresso and the coffee machine and, mm-hmm. and, and and making the deliveries. And you were able to highlight that. But I don't think anyone saw the day that you individuals would be considered frontline workers because now it's come to the point where you're making a decision in this business Am I going to stay home like many others who are staying home or do I go out there and put myself at risk because others need to eat or I need to make the delivery of coffee for for people or fix a machine? It It's taken a whole new spin that I don't think anyone's ever seen. And 
I find it refreshing that you are able to bring these individuals and spotlight them on your show. So, so great job. Thank you. Yeah. You know, what else is really nice that we do decide to go in and work. And before we went back, we were obviously, we didn't know what to expect. And you know what we really found out is how much we're needed. And that might sound silly at first, but people need to get out and socialize. They need to celebrate when they come out. Yeah. I'm masks up and I have glasses on and I have uh, gloves on and we're doing all the right things. And people are social distancing, sitting far away. But you know what? We don't talk about COVID when they come in. They talk about their day. They have a drink. You know, we laugh. We talk. They're, they're, they're with a party or they're with their other company. And they're just enjoying a good time. And no better time than these days do you need, you know, a couple hours out to have a great meal, have great conversation, have a great experience, and a couple of drinks. I mean, I think that uh, that's what really happens. And I find it when people leave, they want to shake my hand. We can't shake. We elbow bump. You know, <laughs> yeah. man, man, we really, we just really needed this. We haven't been out in a long time. Yeah. And we just really needed this. Thanks so much for everything you did for us tonight. Without a and doubt. I don't feel like I'm doing anything different, but it's looked at a little bit different. So it does, uh, it, you know, it makes me appreciate what I do even more. It's brought into perspective of how important the industry and its workers are because, our daily grind of life, it was sort of invisible for the large part of history and to many individuals. But with your show, it's wildly successful. As, as we mentioned, you're the most popular online talk show in South Jersey with Waiter Nation. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question. First, you've had many people on the show. Who would you say has been your favorite guest, whether it was a surprise as someone that you never thought would be a fantastic guest or someone that you always wanted. And two, what's or who is the guest that you want without any shadow of a doubt that you would just be over the moon if they could come on the Weeder Nation? Yeah, the that's an easy question. The dream guest for me would be Sebastian Metascalco, and he is a big time comedian a lot of specials on Showtime, and he spent seven years at Four Seasons in Beverly Hills as a waiter. Wow. As he was running down the street, and he was doing gigs, 15-minute uh, sets, and then running back and being a waiter. He talks about it many times in his uh, sets. He's always talking about being a waiter. Uh, he gives a shout-out to his waiter days all the time, which a lot of times the celebrities, they say, oh, yeah, I was a waiter for a couple of days, but they, they're not proud. He is. And he comes to Brigada, he sells it out all the time, and that would be my dream guest, to talk about how he made that jump and his time in the restaurants compared to... Now he lives like two miles down the road in Beverly Hills <laughs> from the restaurant that he used to work in, in Gwen Stefani's old house. Oh, wow. So I mean, it's, it's a perfect inspirational story, and he, whenever I hear him talk about it on TV, um, he does it with a lot of pride. As far as a favorite guest, I don't know if I have one. I have a lot that really were fantastic. and uh, But my favorite show would have to be the one I did at Brigada at Old Homestead Steakhouse. Because I worked there, and some of the best, and, and I said some of the best waiters in the country worked there. And I believe that. And the story was so great, and it touched a lot of people. And even to this day, uh, when people will stop me in the restaurant and say, hey, you're the guy that did that story at uh, Brigada, right? And I say, yeah, I, I did. I, I shut the spotlight on everybody over there. So there were five readers in the story, and everybody told a little bit of the whole story, and it was great. Now, obviously, you know quite a lot about the industry. You've been uh, in it for 30-some years. Which position in the hospitality industry would you say is the backbone that people don't realize besides waiter and waitresses. We're going to take that out of the aspect. Who's the unsung hero that you see in the industry that behind the scenes that you say without them, we wouldn't be able to operate? Without a doubt, anybody in the industry can answer this question in a second. It's dish. It's the people who wash the dishes. It's the hardest job in the business. They get 
not so much respect in the business, and we could not operate for 10 minutes without them. And they are 100%. Those are the guys that at Christmas time you go back and you, you do what you can and you take care of them. Those are the guys that you thank when you walk in the door, when you walk out of the door. Those are the guys and women that, uh, you know, hopefully the chef is saying, hey, I got some food over here. Grab something before you leave. You know, those are the people. It's not a high-paying job. It's certainly not a glamorous job. And the best chef in the world can't survive without them. And the best waiter, uh, we can't make any money without them. And we can't sell any food without them. Exactly. And that is the backbone of the that is the backbone. If your dish calls out sick on you, uh, you would rather anybody else in the restaurant call <laughs> sick than dish because you're done. You're done without those guys fighting hard to keep you going. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But, Michael, I want to say it was such a joy talking to you. I really uh, am thrilled to be able to have you join us. I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. I know that you uh, have had one of our correspondents, Chef Christina Martin, on your program, so we thank you for having her join you guys. It was uh, she, she raved about her experience and how much she enjoyed it. Uh, so thank you for gracing us, and hey, maybe one day, Don, maybe we'll be on. God willing. I'd love to have you guys on. <laughs> well, we would certainly uh, love to uh, join you as well. But, uh, Michael, why don't you give out any social medias, websites, or anything like that before you go? Best way to find me is just that you can Google uh, So God Made a Waiter. It will come up all over the place. And uh, Facebook is my biggest audience. I am on Instagram and also on Twitter as well, though. Perfect. Just waiter Nation. Perfect. Have a great night, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I appreciate everything. Enjoy the night. You do the same. Take care, Michael. Bye-bye. Yeah, Don, I mean, like, like he said. Yeah, it, the dishwasher is... A lot of people don't think about him. No, sir. Or her. <laughs> because if the dishes aren't clean, yeah, yeah. nothing's moving. No. <laughs> They're just going to pile up and the, nothing's going to be done until the dishes are clean. And I'll tell you what, you're in the... the uh, kitchens all the time yeah. we're not talking about the dishwasher that people are used to having in their homes no. tell people who are not familiar what these contraptions look like i mean they're massive for they're the most ma part. they're massive and they reach temperatures that we the standards for restaurants are a lot higher because you know there's so many people eat off the same plates burn your skin right, right so off the temperatures have to be at a certain degree to make sure it kills whatever bacteria or any foreign you know, uh, objects that go fall on there, dry out on there, whatever the case is, until the uh, dishes come out. They put it on one end, cleans it, comes out, dries them, the stack them. No, the machine don't stack them, but the people stack them. <laughs> exactly. And, and to make sure, and they inspect them to make sure that they are clean and there's no problems with the dishwasher not working correctly. Yeah, and I'm, and like like you said, Michael Fagan of Waiter Nation, dish is one of the most yeah. important aspects of a restaurant. If it's not working well, your restaurant's going to be in for some trouble. And our next guest, from all the way down under, I'm sure halfway across the world, she'll agree with Michael yeah. Fagan. And that would be Chef Daniel Alvarez. And she's come out with her debut cookbook, Always Add Lemon, Recipes You Want to Cook, Food You Want to Eat. So first, it's such a joy to welcome you, Chef Danielle. And uh, let, let's just continue with our conversation that me and Don were having from Michael Fagan. Would you agree... The biggest unsung hero in the restaurant is Dish because that's the grunt work that mostly nobody wants to do. It's low pay, and it's got to be done well and quickly. Well, yeah, so we're talking about the, the dishwashing crew, right? I, yes. I mean, I, we can't do anything without them. They are the foundation of the service. Um, um, you know, my teammates, uh, we call them kitchen hands down here in Australia, um, but they're super crucial. They're a part of the team, and they help everything run smoothly. Yeah, without a doubt. But we want to get to something that's really going to make everyone happy. And Don over here, <laughs> when when we sat down and, and, and I put the cookbook out for everyone to see in studio, Don immediately grabbed your cookbook. He just gravitated to it. And why is yeah. that, Don? Because I put lemon on everything. <laughs> 
as soon as Don solved the title, people look at me like I have four. Yeah, people look at me like I have four heads. You put lemon on steak? You put lemon? What are you crazy? I said, "Wow, you rather you rather put all that sauces and stuff on it that you really don't need." I mean, you know, people don't realize how much of a flavor enhancer that lemon is. Seafood, steak, the pasta. It enhances a lot of flavors. Yeah, so as soon as as soon as he saw that title, it, it was hands off. No one else was <laughs> was getting the book. But this is your uh, debut cookbook. You're American born, and now you are noted as one of the most exciting chefs cooking in Australia today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in the land down well, under? All right. Well, um, that's a very generous introduction, but I was born in Miami, Florida. Big Cuban family, lots of food growing up, lots of cooking with mom and grandma and that kind of stuff. And um, I decided to go to culinary school later in life, um, you know, later as in being like my still my early 20s. But I had studied art history at uh, University of Florida and then moved out to California. Um, I got a really great kind of entry into hospitality. My first kitchen job was working at the French Laundry as an intern. Uh, and I spent about a year working there. You know, I ended up working on the floor, et cetera, and got some great jobs in California, San Francisco, and finally at Chez Panisse, where I spent the last four years, you know, really world-renowned restaurant that's been there for almost 50 years. And it was uh, an Australian contact that um, asked if I was interested in opening up a restaurant in Sydney and I just happened to be at a point in my life where I could make that move and I did. And I have to say that when I visited Australia, it is such a beautiful country and so diverse. And the thing that really blew me away about Sydney is it being such an urban area and of course, in, in the summertime, in, in the summer, then you can go right over to the beach and go and go uh, surfing. And I'm like, this is like, oh yeah, it, it, it's sort of the, the what that Barcelona feel is in Spain, where you have yeah. that awesome urban feel. But then at the same time, you're like, yeah, well, let's let's take off the, the suit and tie and we'll go into the uh, board shorts and do some surfing at lunch. Yeah, I, I mean, the people here really take advantage of that, too. The beach is a part of everyone's life. So many people I know go for a swim before they go to work. They'll take a break and go searching, as you say, during lunchtime, head back into work. It's just this very present part of Sydney life. And I live, like, walking distance from the beach, and I try to get there almost every day. It's, it's unbelievable. Now, what is or has life been like in Australia for the most part with the pandemic. I'm uh, a listener of uh, Radio Shock Jock. I'm sure since you're from Miami, you heard of him, Howard Stern. He's been claiming yes, yes. that Australia, I think last week or something, had a total countrywide. Now, I don't know if this is true. You would know better than me because you're there of nine cases in the entire country. Yeah, well, I don't. I think that might have been nine new cases, but um, that's amazing. I, I don't know the total number. Yeah, it's it's actually unbelievable. Like when I look around the world and see everything that's happened, um, I think we're very fortunate here. Um, you know, we're also very isolated, and there's no travel really being allowed in or out, which I think has really made the difference here. But of course, I'm not an expert on this one. I yeah. just know that. We've we've done probably better than than most countries. We at the restaurant, for example, we were closed for a couple months back in March, but since we've reopened in June, um, the cases have been so low. We've almost back to our normal capacities, and life is feeling very much like it used to. So, um, oh, that's pretty it, good. I know it's very rare. That, I mean yeah. that I mean that that's astonishing, and and 
congratulations to Australia and its government and its citizens, yeah. because I'm sure you guys see on the news here in America, it, it probably couldn't get any worse. It probably yeah. will. But uh, <laughs> we're going yeah. in the reverse instead of forward in, in uh, many aspects. But uh, let's get mm-hmm. back to Aus- Australia. What would be one of the quirks of Australia or one of the things that the people love there that you coming from America were sort of like, eh, it took a little bit to get used to, or you're like, nah, I'm not down with this at all? Oh, well, um, Vegemite. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I was going to say that. Oh, man, I'm not, I don't get it. But, you know, it's one of those things that kids are given here as their breakfast on buttered toast with a scraping of Vegemite, and they love it. They need it, they crave it, and I think if you have it, been having it as a kid you're never gonna get into it so that's probably one thing they, they brainwashed I, I them it, it's, it's generational they gotta start them young <laughs> you gotta start them early yeah exactly <laughs> um but the other thing that's amazing about australia that i i um the, all the different types of seafood here and i think it's really cool to see young kids here eating sushi and raw oysters and that that's something that they just obsess over and i've really learned a new appreciation for seafood that um i didn't really have in the u.s because i just wasn't exposed to that many different kinds of uh shellfish fin fish you know all, all the different things and that's pretty special here I mean, that's awesome. Now, uh, getting back to where you're at now, now you are overseeing the uh, kitchen of a restaurant called Fred's, which is just a cozy little location. It's a 60-seater, and you're focused on ethically produced seasonal fare. So if we're going to make our way 28-hour flight all the way across (laughs) – the transatlantic to get to Sydney and we want to eat at Fred's. What is the number one dish you would say is a must have of yours? What's the signature item that everyone coming to Fred's must have? Well, we change the menu almost every day. Every day. (laughs) Yeah. A few things every day. So there's probably not one thing that um, you'd be able to get every time you came, but I will say we always have, lamb on the menu and we cook in a big wood burning grill and sometimes we do whole lamb legs hung by a string that just kind of slowly turn in front of the fire it's a bit like a vertical rotisserie idea that's called lamb leg a la Fiselle. and then other times we're using different cuts like lamb chops that we grill as a whole rack and slice them off and i will say some of the lamb that we get here in australia are the best in the world and uh Oh, yeah. I mean, Australia is definitely known for some of the best, the best lamb. Now, you've um, you've uh, worked aside some of the world's greatest chefs. I mean, you've taken lessons, uh, skills and taste acquired from working with them, not only in America, but also in Australia. And you made that transition and put the knowledge that you learned and put your kitchen smarts into this collection of recipes into the book, yeah. which as, as Don, I'm going to let you uh, read the title of the book out because you're the one who snatched it up so fast. Uh, go ahead. Always add lemons. No, I'm, I want you to say the, the title of the book, not what you do on all your food. What's, what's <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the title of the book. <laughs> so, it is. It is. <laughs> so as he said, it's always add lemon. Why don't you give us what was your favorite part or your favorite recipe in this book? What really made it a joy to create the cookbook? Because it's really wonderful. I I love it. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I think my favorite part is that as a young chef and as a young cook, I always look to cookbooks so much for inspiration and knowledge And there was a lot of, you know, you can get so much information from cookbooks, but then because of my career path, I was always working in restaurants like the one that I run now, 
where the menu changed almost every day. And I got to see so many different ingredients and techniques and ways of doing things. And also, I made a lot of mistakes and I messed up a lot of stuff. And um, I wanted to put the knowledge in here that I think takes, you know, good cooking and takes it into great cooking. And it's a lot of things that I learned through trial and error, but also things that people taught me along the way. And uh, so I'm excited that I can share. So it's over 100 recipes. It's a lot of different knowledge around cooking meat, cooking fish. There's a huge section on salads and fruits and vegetables and then making desserts. And um, if you wanted to make bread or cheese at home, I have a section in the back called Projects um, that's a little bit more in detail with those things. So it's basically a lot of the knowledge that I wish I would have found in the cookbook when I was young. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, also, you had a Cuban upbringing. I have to say, I've been to Cuba, and I loved my experience yeah. at Cuba. Well, that could be a whole interview all upon itself. Uh, how yeah. has your Cuban upbringing influenced how you cook? Um, I think it's about generosity. I've always looked at food as being something that makes people happy, that can bring people together. Um, my mom was an amazing cook and I grew up watching her create these big feasts of food and have, you know, 10 and 20 people over for meals. And, um, that was really impressive the way that she hosted with such generosity of spirit of, you know, people were genuinely happy to sit at her table. And I always wanted to convey that feeling through cooking and through food. So there's not a lot of recipes in here that are Cuban per se, but there's a bit of there's stories here and there, and there's a bit of um, kind of the use of sofrito, which is a basis of all Cuban cooking. That starts off a few of the recipes, and yeah, I think it's more about the spirit of what Cuban cooking is to me. Yeah, no, and I know Don's been biting at this one. Yeah, I have the question. Go ahead, Don. Question yeah. is, why always add lemon? Is that your secret ingredient? It's your secret ingredient, isn't it, It's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think we touched on it. I think sometimes you can add, like, plenty of salt to something, but it's not until you add those few little drops of lemon that you really make the dish thing. It's about balancing that uh, richness sometimes of oil and fattiness, and a little drop of lemon can really cut through all that. And it doesn't have to be lemon. Like, not every recipe in the book has lemon, but... You know, I use vinegar, I use limes, Um, you know, sometimes it's something fermented, which has a bit of acidity as well. Um, So anyways, it's just about making things taste really fresh and bright. That's kind of how I like to cook. That's awesome. Well, I couldn't, I I couldn't agree more. As we said, Don was thrilled. He loves the book. I love the title. Uh, Chef Daniel Alvarez, you've turned lemons into lemonade for anyone who purchases this cookbook. It's called Always Add Lemon, Recipes You Want to Cook, Food You Want to Eat From. Share your social media or anything else before you go. Yeah, so Danielle Marie Alvarez is my Instagram, and I post recipes on there, and you can find all the information about the book, etc., on there. That's great. Thank you very much, Danielle, and uh, looking forward Thank to going guys. through your whole book and trying every recipe, and I think it's going to come out great. Good. Thank you so much. Take care. Ah, you too. Great talking to you. And uh, last week when we had uh, Fusco on, he uh, mentioned about the eating habits of our president. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, who knew that? No, it wasn't Fusco, it was uh, Dorenzo. I mean, I'm sorry, Dorenzo, my mistake. That's why we we always fill the show in with a John. Just John and a John. I just said John, it would have been okay. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, (laughs) it's amazing how the president likes to eat steaks super well done and McDonald's and where Biden, more of a ice cream hound, if you want to call it. Well, I mean, I think we all have our sort of, I guess, things that would embarrass us for everyone to know what we're eating. But the one thing that I do know, Don, is that our next guest is able to turn anything that he puts his mind to into something amazing. And we have online with us Chef Dan Kluger, with his new cookbook, Chasing Flavor, Techniques and Recipes to Cook Fearlessly. 
And I mean, uh, sh- Chef Dan, you're a James Beard award-winning chef. You've uh, had accolades that many chefs would wish to receive throughout a lifetime, and you're still going along strong. How's it going tonight, Sh- Chef Dan? It's going well. I don't know if I if everything I touch turns into something good, but I uh, I try and apply the principles that, that we're teaching in the book, and most of the time I'm able to make good food. <laughs> well, I, I I think for the most part, I think the, the, the mostly everything that you're touching because you have from celebrities to chefs alike they've raved about how you inspire the dishes and you have a method with it's it's innovative where you master cooking master the cooking in a way that you're bringing out flavors that you normally wouldn't be able to to taste so how how did that passion come about in your cooking? Was that something you learned along the way? Was it uh, uh, a hobby of yours? Uh, you tinkered a lot with it. What created you to be able to do this? Well, I mean, I think there's a few factors. One is I, I learned early in my career, especially working with <clears throat> Chef Floyd Cardoz at Tabla, which was an Indian-inspired restaurant. Um, the, the late, great Floyd Cardoz was a master of spices, but more importantly, a master of flavor and balancing flavor. And that's something that I learned early on in my career. And it's been an important, um, backbone to my cooking and, and the fact that I like every, every dish to have this balance of flavor. I like that, you know, uh, what we call peaks and valleys. One bite has this, the next bite has that. And so you have sweet and sour, spicy, salty. Then we balance textures with uh, crunchy and soft and creamy and rich, et cetera. So, uh, you know, balance to me is really important. And so in, in, you know, cooking and creating dishes, I look at how do I create this balance? And it could be something as simple as charring a vegetable, getting like a lot of char and roasted caramelization on the outside of it that, that completely changes the vegetable from what you know it maybe uh you know broccoli to me is kind of mundane but now we char it up really well and it tastes you know more like uh, a steak or something i mean it's like just completely different and then we make these you know uh, really incredible sauces maybe they're sweet sour spicy uh and so by just putting a little bit of that with something like the broccoli you take it from a very um bland or simple vegetable to something really exciting to eat and so that's that's kind of what sparked my interest, and that's that's what I do on a daily basis when I'm cooking. And it, it it's really impressed me because, as you mentioned, you're you're tinkering in all these different directions, but you're making sure you're getting all of the flavor profiles or that umami that they say. You're you're grabbing that that other that other boom flavor to come out to the person who's eating it in a way that a regular technique would not. And I really enjoyed, as you discussed, the way that you're bringing vegetables out because I'm a carnivore through and through. I'll, I, I could eat meat the entire day. Not to say that I don't enjoy vegetables, but unless they're prepared in a way to wow me, it's, it's sort of second fiddle. What I liked about your book is the entire area that you have for the vegetables. And the one in particular was the grilled carrots with sweet and sour carrot sauce. And it really took me away to all of the barbecue competitions that I used to judge being a KCBS certified judge. And I never thought about how most barbecue sauces are based on tomatoes and I have to say, I never judged a single competition where someone took the task to up the ante and do something like carrots. I just think that would have been brilliant. And I, I love that, how, how you're breaking that out in, into your cookbook. Something so simple as carrots, you're breaking it to the level that you could make a barbecue sauce out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, you know, there's 190 some odd recipes in there, and I would say probably two thirds of them are vegetable focused. And uh, by no means am I uh, uh, cooking vegetarian or, or focused on being vegetarian. Um, <clears throat> I, I just have a, 
a love for putting the vegetables first. And um, most of the time when I'm thinking about a dish or, or food in general, I'm thinking about the vegetable and, and that being the center of the plate rather than the protein. And so I think about, you know, what would be really exciting with whatever vegetable I'm looking at and whatever vegetable dish I've started to come up with. And then I think, okay, well, you know, a piece of fish would go really well on this, or, you know what, a steak would go great with this or a pork chop. So kind of work backwards from, from where I think a lot of people do. And then, you know, we, we look at sort of not trying to be trendy in any way, but, you know, how do we take something that, um, for, for me, a lot of the, a lot of the cooking is like um, it's based on something that's that's approachable. It's based on something I grew up with. It's based on American food, whether it's you know again barbecue or or um, pizza. You know, you know, even though it's not totally American, but you know, we we take things that are very approachable, and then we think, okay, how do we kind of flip it on its head a little bit and change it without trying to deconstruct it and make it some kind of crazy dish. And so in cases like something like the carrots, we looked at that and said, well, you know, we, we want to kind of make them smoky. We want to grill them. We want to char them up. We want to treat them as if they were a grilled steak. Uh, and, and so from there, we kind of thought, okay, well, they could use some barbecue sauce. And from there, it kind of turned into, well, let's not make a normal barbecue sauce. Let's make a carrot-based barbecue sauce. Um, and that's kind of how a lot of those things happen. And some work, some don't, but uh, I'll tell you that the ones in the book definitely work. Well, and, and the one thing that I really think really uh, I th was brilliant, and I hope that more uh, cookbooks will come away with this, even though you'll probably remember and say, you know what, they're ripping me off, is the takeaway portion. I like how you worked with food writer uh, Nick Fauchald, and... If, and the every the majority of them have a little sort of paragraph of what the takeaway is. So the reader and the person at home is taking a valuable lesson that the home cook is honing in and understanding what the thinking process is and how it all works. So I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, Nick was incredible in, in general, but really great at saying hey, there's so many great things here that you're doing that we want people to learn. So why don't we create this little, I, I wanted I wanted the recipes to tell a story and not just be a simple recipe. And so he said, why don't we create these these little takeaways, these notes that, that are important? And they could be a little bit more scientific in terms of, you know, why you blanch something or, or you know, why you're slow cooking. Uh, but a lot of them are, how do you take something from this recipe and use it somewhere else? And that's why uh, we, we talk a lot about this book being, um, something that that should give cooks the confidence to to cook. It should give them the confidence in the kitchen to not just feel like they have to read the recipe straight as it is, and instead they can veer off course and say, "I don't have Brussels sprouts, but this would go great with, you know, English peas or whatever the case is." And and so we're just trying to help them kind of build a pantry that works. Well, you you did a fantastic job. The photography in this is fantastic. The step-by-step -step instructions are easy enough for everyone to understand. You, you, you hit it. You hit a home run with your debut cookbook, and I want everyone to go out and purchase it. And it's James Beard award-winning chef Dan Kluger. He's the author of Chasing Flavor, Techniques and Recipes to Cook Fearlessly. It was a joy talking to you, and I hope you join us again sometime soon. Thank you. I appreciate that. Have yourself Take a great care. night. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, like he said, the, he didn't do it on purpose, Don, of having the book be two-thirds vegetable-based, but it really turned out beautifully. Well, I mean, any well-prepared vegetable is always an, a, a plus to a, a meal. But, I mean, you, you could eat meat all the time by itself, but... Like carrots are nice and sweet, and he put a nice uh, sauce on it that he made. I mean, that, that adds to whatever type of meat you're going to cook it with, especially if it's a gamey type of meat. It, it, it calms it down a little bit so you can enjoy like deer or, or buffalo or one of those meats that have a little bit more taste than regular beef would. Yeah, and also when he's saying how you've got to char it, a little bit, thus bringing the sugars mm -hmm. out to caramelize it. A lot of people don't realize the amount of sugars that certain vegetables have that can really enhance 
the dish and the way that everything tastes. And he sort of mixes everything in beautifully, and it, it, it was a great job. Yeah. But I, I will say, I, I, I'm angry at myself for not asking the one question was so how many times should we add lemon (laughs) 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 because the proper answer is what always always you you should you you should technically always add lemon (laughs) but um uh what was i gonna say um yeah like i said people don't realize how much uh there's flavors that enhance so much that we eat that nobody uses, like a nice marquois when you're cooking. Ooh, say that again, so, Don. Marquois. Oh, man. No, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it enhances a lot of food food flavors with the combination of, again, the carrots, the celery, and the onions when they're cooked and sauteed before you make your sauces, whether it be tomato base. Or mac and cheese, or any of those type of sauces, that really enhances the flavor. It's a, a trilogy of adding flavor to to food. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's it, it goes back to, I mean, look, look into the the fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundreds of the spice trade routes. Yeah. Yeah. Once people started to learn about these amazing spices, it, it was game over. Yeah. They were sending boats and people were yeah, dying. They were paying, paying big money for the oh. spices today we get. And we're, <laughs> we're spoiled. Yeah. We're spoiled. But I'm going to tell you why else we're spoiled, Don. Why are we spoiled? Because we have ourselves lined up a fantastic guest, and I couldn't be more thrilled to talk with her. And it's Chef Connie Lovely Jackson, and she is one of the stars on the Oprah Winfrey Network with her own show called Lovely Bites. And the show, of course, couldn't be more lovely. Yes. How's it going uh, tonight, Chef Lovely? It's going good. How are you tonight? We are doing great. Now, I want to say that first, first and foremost, congratulations to you to be able to debut on the Oprah Winfrey Network on its first ever food programming block. They had four all-new original cooking shows, and you were the one who premiered them. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, when I when I found out that news, I was, you know, over the moon, <laughs> of course. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much. It's definitely an honor to know that um, I was chosen to – you know, really introduce the world um, to the own network through food. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sort of uh, a match made in heaven. Uh, I love your personality, the way that you present things. It, it, it's a perfect match. I mean, uh, you couldn't have been a better fit for the network and overall for audiences to enjoy your own programming now. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I've um, I've always wanted to just really give the world an inside look to what I do every day. Uh, the show is, you know, just a direct reflection of how I like to spoil my friends and my family, how I'm able to create, you know, new dishes for all of my clients. Um, so it's it's just amazing that I'm I'm able just to be so authentic and really let the world know that you can have a great time in the kitchen, you can have fun, you can have cocktails, and you can really just take the time to enjoy yourself and whomever you're cooking for. And every show on the all-new block of original cooking shows are fantastic as well. I'm going to say that we're going to have to call it maybe a tie with one of your fellow compadres because we just had on Chef Tanya Holland a couple weeks ago. Remember that, Don? And she, we we fell in love with her instantly, just as much as we've fallen in love with you. But an amazing lineup all together. Now, where did the idea come for Lovely Bites? Um, well, it's, it's, you know, been my little baby for such a long time. 
And, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's literally just a direct reflection um, of what I do on a daily basis. I have a catering company. I have some amazing clients and they keep me on my toes. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm able to, you know, create, you know, wonderful dishes all from scratch. Um, I reside in Los Angeles, so the produce is so abundant. I love going to farmer's markets and getting inspired, calling my mama, get, being inspired from her. So everything really just came from my day-to-day -day life and how much I love cooking and the passion that I have for it. Now, one of the other things that really uh, made me enjoy learning about you is one of your passion projects that you created a culinary education platform called The Young Gourmet, where you're working in communities teaching cooking skills and techniques with healthy and budget-friendly meals to individuals that maybe don't have the income levels that other individuals possess. And I find that to be so critically important, especially in the times that we're in right now, because I know individuals are stuck in their houses, they, they're quarantining, and for people who don't have the skills to know how to cook properly are really damaging their health to unknown amounts with high sodium intakes and things like that. And I know lower income areas are bound to that because of the food deserts that we've seen. So for, mm -hmm. for you to be able to do that uh, really speaks volumes of your character. You know, I've been doing culinary instruction in underserved communities for about 13 years now. I've worked at different non-for-profit organizations. Um, so I really wanted to, before I ventured out on my own, I wanted to really get my feet wet. You know what I mean? I wanted to know who needed help, and I wanted to hear people's stories. I wanted to really understand their situations and what they were going through. So o over all those years, I kind of, you know, was just taking mental notes and just trying to take young gourmet to that level of being able to say, I know, and I understand. Um, my family hit rough times at one point too, when I was younger. So I know what it means when money is tight and when you're in, you know, situations that you may not be able to get out of right away. And I really give credit to my mother because she was able to turn, you know, cornbread and greens and, you know, a big pot of beans into like a, a Thanksgiving meal. Mm -hmm. And she made it feel she made it feel inspired. She cooked it with so much love. You know, my brothers and I, we didn't know, quite frankly, that we were broke and going through a rough time because she took that effort energy to put it into the food. So that's how I create my curriculum. That's how I create my recipes. It's that, you know, understanding of I know what you're going through. And then I've heard so many stories. So I'm able to really tailor the information that I'm giving so that it can actually help. I, mean, I don't want to talk about it. I want to be about it. You know, I want to make a difference. I mean, and that's amazing. And it has to make you feel good inside. Think about all the lives that you've touched. And they have probably passed it along. And individuals that they have passed it along to hopefully have passed it along as well. And as I mentioned, in a time like this, those individuals that you taught are leaps and bounds ahead of other individuals in these t terrible times of this pandemic and stay-at-home orders yeah. because they're able to cook more healthy and more nutritious, even on a budget, on a way that you taught them. And I think with other people seeing how passionate you are and that, as you said, you want to be about it, and be the one doing it instead of just speaking about it. And you were selected to be an ambassador for the First Lady Michelle Obama's National Let's Move initiative. And you were able to visit schools and do hands-on cooking classes with the students. You, your career has, has really been amazing. And I'm thrilled that you're now able to take all of that passion and the way that you can inspire others and bring it to the own network. And you're doing a, f a fabulous job. 
Well, thank you so much. It was definitely an honor to receive an email from the White House. At first, I was nervous. Like, you know, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Better the White House than the IRS, I'll say that. Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, but opening up the email and and having that, just that moment to say, wow, you know, a a fellow Chicago Chicago native, the floatist, our forever floatist, she, you know, saw the work that I was doing in, in the community of Chicago, my hometown, and she said, hey, I want you to come and, and help me, you know, expand my message and what, what I would like to do, you know, during this administration. So I was just so humbled and so honored for that opportunity. I was able to go to new schools and teach that I had never been in before, and I was able to go back to schools that I already had a relationship with. So that that was definitely um, a mark in my career that really, you know, still means a lot to me to this day. But, you know, going back off what you said a second ago about, you know, people being able to take these skills, you know what, I'm able to, to actually witness that. You know, I do culinary instruction with children, and then it goes and it trickles down to the teachers and to the principals. And then I talk to the parents. And then the parents come to me and they say stuff like, I can't even have McDonald's anymore because of this. <laughs> I, I have to actually go home and, like, you know, bake my French fries instead. And I'm like, you're welcome. You know, cooking <laughs> – Cooking is a life skill. You know, I'm not here to tell anyone what to do. I just want to give people all of the knowledge that I have just to equip them to make a better choice, a healthier choice. And then get into the kitchen with your friends and your family and your kids. Teach your kids, you know, up front how to properly cook a vegetable, how to, you know, cook a nice protein for themselves. And those are skills that they'll carry for a lifetime and then, you know, continue to pass that on to people that they know. And then it trickles down to the community as well. And I couldn't agree more. And I think you're you're doing that on a larger platform now, even though uh, with the show, you are not only teaching these skills in, in, in healthy ways, but you're also having fun with what you're doing on the show, showing festive foods that are both tasty and gorgeous. I mean, you're using edible flowers, gold leaf, other touches <laughs> of little elegance on all your signature dishes with I, I couldn't have been more thrilled about. And what I really like is that the show is approachable. Your positive attitude is, is, is just infectious and that you focus on the fun and celebrating these occasions for everyone to get around and lovely bites is just fantastic and i want everyone to tune in it's saturdays on the own network at 12 p.m eastern standard time and it was really a thrill talking to you chef lovely and uh, we couldn't be more proud of everything that you've accomplished and uh do you want to share any social medias or anything like that before you go yeah, um, everyone, please reach out to me. All of my socials are the same, at Chef Lovely. I love to talk food. I try to get back to every single person. I answer all the questions that you have, especially with the holidays coming up. You can also contact me at cheflovely.com. That's my website. Um, thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity just to talk about, you know, Lovely Bites. I'm really excited about it. I'm so happy that you're picking up my vibe, <laughs> which is approachable, fun, entertaining food. Um, so, yeah, just just thank you so much, everyone out there. I hope you tune in. I hope you love w- what we're doing here. And um, I look forward to continuing the conversation all about food. Well, there's no no way that we couldn't pick up your vibe because lovely bites meet small bites. It was a match <laughs> made in heaven. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Have yourself a great night. And we're going to be talking to uh, one of your fellow. Hell's Kitchen alums, Chef Barbie Marshall. Hopefully we didn't run out of time and you have yourself a great night. You as well. Thank you so much. Take no, care. No problem. Oh, oh, I think Taylor just said that we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to apologize to Chef Barbie. I think she was uh, on hold, so uh, John Howard Fusco, we apologize. That segment didn't go through well tonight. Chef Barbie, we apologize. We didn't get that segment in. Don, why don't you uh, wrap it up quickly? I'm uh, Donato Marina with DNL Coffee Service. I can be reached at 215-365-5521. You can find us on Facebook anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
And I'm Derek Tim of BlueJeanFood.com. This is Small Bites on Wildfire Radio. We're on Sundays at 6.35 p.m. Uh, we also have the following day on iTunes, and we're syndicated. Just Google us. You'll find out everywhere that we're at. And this week, we're going to change it up just a tad. We are going to have a segment with our very own vegan chef, uh, Chef uh, Christina Martin. And she is going to have this on a weekly basis now, a little tidbit called Healthy Bite of the Week. And then, of course, after her little segment, we end the show like we always do with a segment of the week of a joke of the week from legendary joke tower, Jackie the Joke Man Martin. We hope you guys enjoy. Good night. Hi, this is Chef Christina for Small Bites with your Healthy Bite of the Day. A simple way for eating healthy is to make half your plate veggies at each meal. Veggies have essential vitamins and minerals that are important for good health. Vegetables have fiber that help with digestion and keep you feeling fuller longer. So fill up that plate with veggies. And for more healthy cooking and lifestyle tips, find me on Instagram at Chef Christina. I'm Jackie Martling, and this is Small Bites. A guy comes up to check out at the supermarket and puts one roll of toilet paper, a pint of milk, and one frozen TV dinner on the counter. The checkout girl says, are you single? The guy says, uh, yeah. How could you tell? You are really ugly. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 <laughs>